My guest today on the Indians list is John Cipher. John is an expert on Russia. He knows Russian foreign policy, intelligence, national security, and the character of the Russian people. Why? Because John spent a 28-year career at the CIA in the clandestine service. He was one of those guys on the ground, working with actual assets in the field. He's a member of the CIA's Senior Intelligence Service, which was the leadership team that guides all of CIA's activities around the world. He was a guy who's been all over the place. He has the Distinguished Career Intelligence Medal, and he is just one of the smartest people I know when it comes to Russia and it comes to particularly the sort of things we're facing right now as Russia continues to, to rampage across Ukraine. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. John Cipher, welcome to The Enemies List. It is so great to have you on, and I wanted to talk to you about a few things that are that are going to be in the news more than I think some people realize when it comes to Russia and Ukraine in the coming weeks and months. Um, first off, you know, because you are one of the experts on the behavior of the Russian government and of of the character of the Russian leadership, at, based on your 28 year career in the CIA, your work in Moscow um, at at the most senior level, uh, and your deep knowledge of these folks, um, where is Putin's World, what does Putin's world look like right now because of the failures of the Russian military and the intelligence services in, in Ukraine? Um, and what do you think is next from from the, a guy who I think is getting pretty boxed in? <laughs> you, you set it up really well. So what's what's different about, you know, why I don't get upset about being called an expert. I would be normally be upset about being called an expert on something because I was, you know, a, a practitioner handling spies overseas. But in the case of Russia, it sort of makes sense because the secret services, the KGB is critical to understanding Russia and is critical to understanding Vladimir Putin. He was a career KGB officer and he set up his regime essentially in the old Czechist KGB way. In other words, all of the security services are all set up about keeping the leadership in power and protecting one man. That's Vladimir Putin. And all of their games, the the subversion and the sabotage and the disinformation and, and you know, the lies and, and those type of things, it's something that's set up and it's really based on sort of a long history of how the Russian security services have worked. So Vladimir Putin, mm. yeah, he's he has boxed himself in. He's he's taken a he made a horrible strategic mistake uh, based on sort of assumptions, 20 years in power, only listening to people close to him. You know, a sort of a crazy worldview where he thinks everybody's out to get him and thinking he has the the uh, weapons to be able to go back against them. So he's put himself in a in a really difficult place. And what what's interesting is if you do look go back and look at the Soviet system, for example, right. as 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 horrible and repressive as that was, there was a system, there was a politburo, there was a party that oversaw all of these things. Vladimir Putin has has built essentially almost a 
a traditional dictatorship based on him, which means without Vladimir Putin, there is no system. There's no, there's nobody waiting in the wings. There's no opposition party. And you can imagine during the Soviet days, if a Soviet leader had made such critical strategic mistakes, the Politburo would have pulled them out of power and put somebody mm -hmm. else in. But right now there's none of that. And so he has to worry about what traditional di uh, dictators have to worry about is that he has to worry about enemies from within. He has to worry about, you know, he's screwing up so badly that someone's going to put a bullet in his head or eventually there's going to be so much, you know, anger inside the population that, that something will happen. I'm, I'm reading a really good book now about the fall of the Berlin Wall and the East mm -hmm. German security services and, and government was as repressive as the world has ever seen had more spies amongst the people than any country ever in the history of, sure, of the sure. world. But once things start to change, once things start to roll and that ball starts to roll downhill, people start to realize, hey, there is a chance here. And they come out and a, 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 a government uh, that seems powerful one day can be out of power the next day. So I think Vladimir Putin now realizes he's in a really difficult situation. If he thinks the Ukrainian counteroffensive is going to to you know embarrass the Russian government embarrass the Russians abroad it could put him in a in a really difficult place home in Moscow it's interesting you mentioned one of the things that I that struck me and I think it was I think it was uh it might have been in strobe Talbot's book about Khrushchev where he described the, the the system as the party the army and the KGB were all holding different parts of the alligator nobody wanted to let it go <laughs> Everybody had to sort of balance their their own security and safety on it. But you're right. I think there's nothing left of that. It is it is much more of a traditional autocracy now or kleptocracy if you if you want to. And, and so that puts him at risk. So his character. I mean, you you know of this guy better than anybody. He was you know a, a KGB mid level KGB guy as the, as everything fell apart in the old Soviet system. And it, and it always struck me the guys just carried a chip on his shoulder about that moment in history that. That it seems like it played out in in Chechnya. It seems like it's playing out. It played out in Georgia. It's playing out here for the second time in 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 Ukraine after Crimea. Is he like the last gasp of that system? Is it is because it seems like that bitterness of his generation. I don't know that anybody who replaces him will be of that that demographic window where where they thought that you know where they grew up thinking the Soviet Union still had a chance to make it. Yeah, that's very difficult to say, obviously, because you don't know what's coming next. And I often think too much our government worries too much about what's next rather than dealing with what's right in front of him. And sure, mm -hmm. somebody like Vladimir Putin, who was part of the KGB and saw himself as the sword and the shield and sort of the elite of the right. Soviet Union, had their country crumble underneath them. So you can imagine the trauma of that, right? Now, what he tied that to eventually, which is, which is a false narrative, is the narrative that United States and the West then took advantage of a weak Russia after that time. Now, I was in right. Moscow in the 1990s. The U.S. Mm -hmm. government was doing everything it could, perhaps poorly, because, you know, there's only so much you can do with another country to try to help them, to move them into sort of the family and nations, to try to provide sure. financial help and all these type of things. But what Vladimir Putin has done is he's created this narrative that while Russia was weak and on its knees, the West took advantage of them and tried to increase the size of NATO and look for ways to destroy Russia and this type of thing. So he's, you know, he's built that sort of great Russian power and the fact that it's an ongoing battle against the West into his sort of governing narrative. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's come to a point now where, you know, it's, it's us against them. And, and you can argue, frankly, that 
Western presidents from from Clinton to Bush to Obama to Trump have misread him and misplayed him. We keep thinking Mm -hmm. it's just going to turn out for the best. And maybe if we just reason with him a little more, he'll come around. Now, Vladimir Putin, if nothing, has been consistent. He's consistently hated us. He's consistently hated the West. He's had this view for a long time. And we keep thinking that, you know, maybe if we just talk to him more or don't pay attention to him, it'll come out better. And it's led us to this point now. Now, So if there's one good thing about now is the blinders are off. We know the evil of this man. We know the evil of this system. And it really needs to be destroyed. It can't be sort of negotiated with. I've heard it described that Ukraine is basically trying to play the two wars at once. They're trying to play out recapturing to their territorial boundaries, their traditional territorial boundaries. But they're also trying to play out a war where Russian citizens in Moscow and St. Petersburg actually know what's happening. They actually begin to feel the impact of this because so many of the troops that have been brought in have been from the far east of the country and so and and from the from the provinces. And do you think that the average Russian, especially given that their media bubble is like a hundred times more hermetically sealed than the Fox bubble for for Republicans <laughs> in America, um, are are they starting to feel this? Are they starting to see this in in Moscow and Saint Petersburg, where that where the opinion? starts to really matter? That's a good, it's a good question. And frankly, we should listen to the Ukrainians because they understand the Russian psyche and they understand the Russians for a long time. The Russians have been trying to undercut them and screw them for since 2014, but certainly before they've treated in this way. So the Russian, so the Ukrainians understand the Russian mindset and what they're up to. And if they think they can use propaganda or what have you to sort of get Russians on their side using their own language, I think that's, that's great. And, and we should support that in any way we can. Yeah, it's so hard to tell in a in a system that is so repressed like that. At what point does it crack? What point does it change? It, and it's often not something you can view from the outside. It's just sort of all of a sudden happens and then starts rolling downhill. So yeah, I think you know when when journalists go in and talk to people, they're not about to say anything that they're frustrated with the government because you know that you can get right. thrown in prison for that type of thing. But Vladimir Putin, for sure, is afraid of it. You know, in dictatorships, the leadership is always afraid of their own people, first and foremost. And that's why they have those security services. It's much more about domestic, keeping the leadership in power at all points and keeping any domestic opposition down. So they've tried to create a coup-proof system because they're afraid of their own people. And therefore, I think the Ukrainians understand that you know, you don't know when it's going to happen, but if you can try to pump real information into the system, it, it is, it's a cancer that eats at it until it eventually kills the system. Right. You said, you know, you mentioned that the coup proof system, and because it's a traditional autocracy now or a kleptocracy, you know, he was surrounded for a long time by a lot of those people from the nineties, the, the sort of oligarch class, the sort of that weird merger of the Russian organized crime people the intelligence people who were suddenly in the wind and the industrial management class that all sort of parted out the Russian or the Soviet empire. And a lot of those people seem to have gotten cold feet about Putin. <laughs> uh, the ones that haven't seem to be flying out of windows at a fairly regular basis. Is that, a, I mean, are, are, the, are those folks that are dying in Russia at a pretty good clip right now? Is he just trying to send a signal to people or is that or is there some like conflict we're not seeing in, in why he's killing off what seems to be a good number of wealthy Russian men? <laughs> you, you understand this stuff better than I do. You don't need me to come on here and talk to you about it. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping to get the word chode in here somewhere because that's my favorite <laughs> word that you throw, you throw out. I haven't found an opportunity yet, but it'll get, it'll get there. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, f- there's there's a few things that sort of overlap here. For one, even in the best of times, Russians are always fighting each other and undercutting each other. And so now we, we tend to overdo it. We see this guy Prigozhin fighting against the defense minister and say, oh, right. my God, this must mean something. I don't know. I mean, if you put three Russians in a room, they're going to they're going to all start squabbling and fighting with each other and trying to undercut each other. There's something sort of cultural there. But also, right. um, again, it's about doing everything you can to keep the leadership in power and therefore, you know, keep everything down. And at this point, Putin doesn't care. He's going to use whatever opportunity he does to jail, arrest or kill people. He's done it around the world. And so this is just part part and parcel of the system. It's difficult to read from the outside whether that suggests um, cracks in the system, but it is worth keeping an eye on for sure. So as the Russian military has taken this, this, I mean, they have not been beaten this badly at, at this kind of scale. And, and I, I even take Afghanistan out of the equation because that was a much lighter footprint operation in terms of they weren't in there fighting with armored formation type battles in Afghanistan. There's been nothing like this since World War II in terms of like the wholesale destruction of big parts of the Russian military. Is the coup-proof system coup-proof enough to prevent some ambitious colonels eventually to say, ah, fuck this, we're done with this guy? Do they have the ability to do that now? Or has he sort of made that system, weaken the military enough, uh, you know, simultaneous to the Ukrainians weakening the military materially to make him more safe from the, because that's generally where the threat comes from in a a dictatorship. That's right. Is some, some smart colonel goes... I'm done with this guy. <laughs> well, and that's why the system is similar to the Soviet system, that they put security service people inside the military to keep control and to report back. And there's overlapping right. institutions. There's the FSO. There's a there's a you know, sort of a Kremlin security guard. There's the internal service, the FSB. There's the external service, the SVR, and, mm-hmm. and, and a variety of services in and around the military. So so, I mean, again, the reason they do all this stuff, this paranoid, cynic, cynic, cynical system is exactly because of fear, right? And so the fear, mm-hmm. you wouldn't do this if you didn't have legitimate fears <laughs> that people could be coming right. after you. Now, could it be someone in the military, a mid-level military? I mean, he's so hermetically sealed, it's hard to imagine. Again, I think he fears right. the people most of all. So I think the thing that could really affect things here, if there's a, if this Ukrainian counteroffensive turns into a rout, for example, with Russian troops, you know, fleeing the field and running mm-hmm. back into Russia, talking to people, telling people that, it, you know, it, it's a mess. This war has been going on for two years. We haven't been able to win it. And and for Christ's sake, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're fleeing. We're dying here. That sort of <laughs> yeah. changes things. And he has to worry about people further, further up in that chain, you know, looking for new leadership. And, and, and frankly, it could come from the right, right? So there's, you know, there's people that are, that want, Russia to be tougher on Ukraine that are also starting to become critics of the Kremlin now. Um, so it's, so it's a difficult, right. Difficult thing to gauge for sure. But, but, but he doesn't sleep well at night. I'm sure. Everybody's got a morning ritual. I know I do. And I want to feel like I'm getting my day going. I want to feel like I'm moving and more than coffee. Sometimes it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet. The craft handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back, do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. 
For now, they're offering the Craft Handle Starter Set for 10 bucks. It's a $17 value, so this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle, the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. Is that that sort of Alexander Dugan set of people who are like the hyper nationalist types? Um, are they are they the ones muttering about that? Because, I mean, it's hard to imagine somebody who's been more cruel to Ukraine. I mean, I, I don't know how you ramp it up short of nuclear weapons at this point. Right. And it seems like they're just burning through their inventory of everything. Missiles, planes, tanks, the whole the whole shooting match is the, the fire sale on bringing in like Russian tanks from the <laughs> 1950s and 60s. It seems like that's not working out as they thought it might. Again, so that 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 question of like, does he have a vulnerability? from somebody in his internal guard or somebody who, you know, has some coincidental like beef with him, you know, based on all this. I think that's one of the questions, but the other question people are asking is, you know, who replaces this guy? What happens? How, how ugly do you think that fight is going to be? Cause I, I think it's inevitable. I think this war is existential for Putin and either he shows he, either he puts a real win on the board somehow, some way, or he's, or he's going to go out a window. Mm. I think he, so. What does it look like in the hours, days, and weeks after Vladimir Putin, you know, catches the nine millimeter flu? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I think his goal now, because he really, you're right, he doesn't have very many options that are very good, is just to wait it out and hope the West cracks or weakens, or or his best bet, frankly, is a is is Donald Trump getting back into the White House. That mm-hmm. does change right. the strategic, you know, view here. And so, yeah, he's just hoping for the best and hoping for the best, as we say, is a bad, obviously a bad strategy. Now, yeah, there's a concern of like, what does that mean? Where does he go? In the old Soviet days, again, there was a Politburo that could get rid of the leader and, and fill in behind. What he's done, if he's done, if he's done anything to just hurt and destroy his company, country, that's it, is he's got created a system that's dependent on him and nobody else. And so there is no right. opposition party. There is no system behind him. There's no way to, to transition to a new leader. There's nobody you know, standing in the, in, the, in the waiting room ready to come in. And so essentially he's set up a system where if, in fact, he falls, there's, it could be this horrible civil war. You know, we, we avoided a Yugoslavia-type civil war after the Soviet Union fell mm-hmm. because I think Gorbachev wasn't ready to use the troops to hold the system together like Right. Most dictators do. Um, but now he's he's risking it all. Essentially, he's put a system in place that could, you know, have, see bloodshed like we've never seen in that part of the world. And frankly, as big a problem as that is, I think the White House worries about that too much. I think they sit around trying to think okay. about, well, we don't want to push him too far. What do we do? We, um, you know, what could come after him? How can we influence that? The bottom line is we can't influence it. The only thing you could do now with this murderous guy who's attacked a democratic country is defeat him and then try mm-hmm. to use whatever you can using other countries that even perhaps the Chinese, if it goes to that point to try right. to, to deal with what happens afterwards. If we try to press just enough so that they pull out and he stays in power or something like this, we're just going to, we're just going to screw it up and fail. We don't have those kind of tools to be able to do those kind of things. So I, I worry about the white house overthinking this the goal now should be to, to humiliate and destroy the Russian the Russian military and services, and 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 Vladimir Putin. Um, and what comes after is something, frankly, we can't control. And trying to control it will end up 
you know, potentially making it worse. I have to wonder if you're like the SVR people who briefed him on this or, or the GRU people who briefed him on this and said, hey, this is easy. We're going to roll up into Kiev in three days. No problem, dude. <laughs> I have to imagine those people are either not alive anymore or serving somewhere far in the east, somewhere very cold all the time. <laughs> um, did they just completely misjudge their own military capability or misjudge the character of the Ukrainians? Or, or was it like an overconfidence in the Russian military, which... You know, they continue to say, oh, the second largest military in the world, and we've got this storied history. And I, I remember the first time I read anything about it, uh, about the Russian military, that wasn't like the Cold War thing. It was a book called The Threat by and- Andrew Cockburn, like yeah, back years in the ago. 80s. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And and it just talked about like these anecdotal stories of these Russian soldiers who are like, no, listen, we're using all the de-icing fuel, uh, fluid because it's alcohol. <laughs> we're just drinking it on the airplanes. We're doing this. And it just struck me like, this could be, you know, as bad as Afghanistan was, but it's turned out to be worse in a lot of ways. Yeah, I remember that book too. You're showing our age, here, I think. I think <laughs> <You're> there, <right. laughs> there's a variety of things again, overlapping factors of as there often are here. There's there's several. There's one is, you know, great Russian nationalism looks down on others as as inferior, and they look at Ukrainians as inferior, and so they thought they had it mm-hmm. all wrapped up and you know, that they would be able to roll in and they had so many spies and sources there that they'd be able to take take advantage of that. I think that what hurt them is they've been doing this since 2014, which has given the Ukrainians time to clean up their system, to understand what the Russians are up to and prepare. The other thing you mentioned is a good one, that the corruption in the military is crazy. So yeah, they've been they've been modernizing their military over the last 20 years, but part of the system that Vladimir Putin has created is the people in that process, the Minister of Defense has to become rich in the process so he can get his yachts and his hookers right. and stuff. And the person mm-hmm. under him has to get their money and their 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 houses and whatever. And so by the time you get you know your new tank, there's been so much money stolen from the system that yeah you got a tank, but it's not going to there's there's pieces that are going to fall right. apart on the kind of thing. And then there's the other thing that is sort of the thing that's where you see traditionally with with dictators and others is he's now been in power 20 years. Everybody around him knows what he thinks, what he wants to hear and what he believes. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have any influence or be around the king, you have to tell him what he wants to hear. There's no benefit in coming in and and telling him his baby's ugly because you then, you know, lose your job. (laughs) Coming back to the party. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think a, a variety of those things, you know, I, I went to a meeting shortly after the invasion with the director of CIA had a bunch of sort of us old guys in to have a lunch and talk through some things. And, and one of the big takeaways I took from that, from, from director Burns is he said, you know, our, our, what we've learned is that the people around Putin that are advising him are literally like one or two people. Like we used to think, and we look at like, Oh, this group of people that are ministers, Mm -hmm. 20 people. and, And there's a, some version of a national security council and this and that. And he said, no, it's essentially two or three people at best who, and, and those Jesus. people are all like he is. They're all from the KGB. They're all from the same mm-hmm. sort of corrupt group of people. And they've been thinking the same crazy Russian anti-Western things for years. So they all are just talking in circles to each other. I mean, how much does he really believe that he's going to get a military solution out of Ukraine at this point? I mean, other than cracking off a nuke over Kiev, which is, you know, that I know is a scenario that has got the White House in a, you know, complete tizzy right now. They're worried that you know if we push too hard, if we if we send over F-16s, he'll nuke them. Ugh. And I mean, I think it's <laughs> unlikely. Even in Russia, I think it's unlikely. But that that seems to be like the like the 
the final fear, the final saber for him to rattle these days. Yeah, but listen, you know, the Ukrainians aren't afraid of a nuclear strike. We shouldn't be afraid of a nuclear strike. And I don't mean right. to suggest not afraid of it. Everybody's afraid of a nuclear strike. Right. The Ukrainians understand the Russians well enough to know that this is not a realistic way to change the war on the ground. Sure, they can pop off a tactical nuclear weapon at a, some group of, I don't know, a city or some group of right. soldiers, and it would be terrible. But the Ukrainians aren't going to surrender. The war's not going to end with a, a nuclear strike. They understand that... If they don't keep fighting, they lose everything. They lose everything. And so they're going to keep fighting. And mm -hmm. using a nuclear weapon changes the political balance in the world. All of these countries that are sort of like on the sidelines in South Africa and India and all this kind of stuff, if he starts using nuclear weapons, it changes everything in the way they look at this war and the way that they crack down on Russia. And China, which essentially is now the big brother to Russia, they're the little right. brother. If Putin starts throwing nukes around, I guarantee Xi in China comes down and changes their calculus about about Russia. This yeah, creates a real strategic that's... danger for everybody. So I, I don't think that the nuclear threat is a, is a realistic threat. He has threatened nuclear weapons over the last 20 years, like 30, 40 different times. He's there. This is this is their the way they do policy. They threaten and they and they bully and they push. And and frankly, it has worked for them. We usually back down. They just Bully and bully and bully. And we're like, okay, okay, this is too much. Let him have it. And essentially it's moved right. to this, this point where we've let them have their way so long that they've now thought that they could take a, a country without us responding. You know, I, I think that, that one thing that really shocked Americans when we looked back on 2016 was just how knowledgeable and committed they were to trying to get Donald Trump in office. And we can, we can debate the various levels to which that played out and the effectiveness of it. But it, it's not surprising to a guy like you who's seen that they believe that the main enemy always had to be attacked no matter what venue it was being attacked in. I think there's, as you said a minute ago, and been, and this, it makes me think of a very sort of weird scenario here. If Donald Trump isn't reelected, it's sort of life or death for Putin this time. Yeah, that's it's Yes. I mean, if he can, if he can drag this thing out for another 15 months and get Trump reelected, that might be his one way to not end up, you know, at room temperature. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the Russians have, you know, they've been, again, very consistent. To them, it's zero sum thing. Anything that weakens the West, anything that weakens the United States is therefore ipso facto beneficial to Russia. And so right. you can understand why Donald Trump was somebody they wanted to support because he was the chaos candidate. They understood that, that having that man in our system spewing nonsense and all these types of stuff weakens the United States. It wasn't mm -hmm. that they loved him and they loved his policies. They just knew it was chaos and that's perfect for them. Anything that, and they would support anybody or anything. They support, you know, radical left-wing groups and they support radical right-wing groups. They're supporting any, you know, they take mm -hmm. anything, you know, any sort of malign actor online and, and promote them and push them. They're just trying to create, create right. problems. And the, it's and, the Klan and the Black Panther in the 1960s. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, that sort of weird shit. Absolutely. Right. And, they're, and, you know, you were a Republican strategist and, you you know, you understood at least, you know, that Democrats and sometimes would often be, you know, sort of weak and silly and not, not use their strength when they had it and push back. The mm -hmm. Russians understand that their rule is illegitimate and therefore they have to just never stop. They have to be relentless. They have to push. They have to fight. They have to bully. They have to threaten. And they have to keep doing it because at some point, if the other side realizes, hey, wait a minute, we are much stronger than they are, <laughs> they then lose everything. And so 
they not, they're not going to stop this game. They're going to continue to support anything that hurts us, weakens us, and same in all of our allied countries. It's just the Russian way, and it doesn't go away until Putin goes away. And frankly, it's even worse until this security service, this KGB was a state within a state right. within the Soviet system. And it, it's this, it's the same now. The security service is essentially a running the state on behalf of Vladimir Putin. I've got one more question before I let you jump. And I really, this has been a great interview, John. I so appreciate it. If you were back in the back in Moscow, would you look at this environment as a better or worse environment for an American or an allied intelligence person to go out and recruit sources inside Russia? I mean, it seems to me that this is would be a very sporty time. But how how would you view that 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 opportunity? I think it's a golden opportunity for our intelligence services. And just you know, I I was involved in the spy business, and the human side of of yep. spying. Um, now in Russia, it'd be tough, and the Russians understand that. So they've they've decimated our embassies. There's very few people there. I'm sure they're followed. Right. When I was there, I was followed, not hyperbole, 24 hours a day. My house was bugged. Every room of my house mm-hmm. was bugged. The audio, video, everybody I talked to was questioned. Every place I went, if I went up at three in the morning and walked out of the house, the surveillance was there on me. They they understand that they can't let Westerners be in touch with their people because they again they're afraid right. of their people, and so yeah, I don't think our people are recruiting people in Moscow, but I think there's tons of Russians around the world. So all of mm. these, you know, the smart Russians that are running tech companies have left. I can imagine there's things oh, yeah. that we're working with them and cooking up those people that have people back inside and knowledge that can, can travel back to Russia that will help us. And there's Russian KGB and diplomatic people in embassies that are looking for an opportunity to protect themselves. I remember when, the when the, again, I was reading about the fall of the Berlin Wall. I remember when, you know, East Germany was starting to fall apart. It was, we, we, sure. we were going to everybody and said, listen, you know, here, you're now the ambassador, but, you know, soon you could be pumping gas at best. Now's the time. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in with us, now's the time to do it and start turning over everything. And Roll so up. I yeah. think it's probably a great time for that part of our intelligence business. I'm sure we're going to talk again soon because I, I suspect that it's, this is not, this story is not going to go away for a little while. And then, uh, <laughs> And it, uh, it's again, it could get very, very sporty when Putin uh, hits the wall after the spring offensive, I think, in Ukraine. Yeah, I think they're, they're running scared. And, you know, the key for us is just to continue to keep that pressure up and listen to the Ukrainians. They know what they're talking about. They understand the Russians. They really seem to. Well, John Seifer, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. But uh, thank you for coming on the enemies list. My pleasure. Always great to talk to you, Rick. Today's entry on the enemies list are American advertisers. So Rupert Murdoch is bragging that advertisers are coming back to Fox since Tucker's departure. You're not good with the heavy duty fascism, but you're okay with the light fascism. You're not okay with the overt racism, but you're okay with the diet racism. Give me a fucking break. First off, I I think Rupert may be exaggerating, but if you are a national advertiser thinking, oh, well, now that Tucker's gone, Fox has cleaned up their act and everything's fine, think again. Your brand reputation will be at stake. People are going to pay attention because whoever they replace Tucker with in the end, whether it's Jesse Waters or some other mutant, they're going to still feed the audience what it wants, which is this racial agitprop. They're still going to feed the audience this steady diet of conspiracy and lunacy and anti-American hostility. And if, hey, if you want to sell your want to sell your breakfast cereal on that platform, you're on the enemies list. Get your shit together. Mm-hmm. 
This has been The Enemies List. And if you've been enraged or engaged or enlivened by this week's episode, let's do something about it. This podcast is part of Resolute Square, a new front in the war to preserve democracy. We were looking for a place to fight back against the MAGA media, and this is it. In addition to this podcast and many others, each week, Resolute Square members will sit down with me and other founders for an intimate meeting of the minds, talking about what's really going on behind the curtain of American politics and analyzing the minds and the motivations of the people that are shaping this country's future, good and bad, along with exclusive analysis and insight from our newsletters, which are anything but conventional wisdom. And yes, we'll also have merch to make the MAGA heads in your life furious and more. Become a partner in this fight at ResoluteSquare.com slash enemies. And folks, if you could like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, I would be enormously grateful. And I cannot tell you how grateful and how heartfelt your support has been for this podcast and for these conversations. And we look forward to many, many more. Thanks again. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. <laughs> <laughs>